really good to see you. What you're looking at there on the screen, ever so briefly, uh, is a toothbrush that has now migrated down to the bottom rack of our little shower uh, kind of rack thing. I, uh, okay, you can, you can pull that off for those who maybe are uh, still um, watching us uh, online. Um, so I want to tell a little story about that as we, as we get started here. So I have, so I'm, a pers- I'm a creature of habit, all of us are, and uh, I have over time, um, and part of my morning ablutions, so to speak, um, I brush my teeth in the shower. And a couple of months ago, um, I'm in my shower doing all the stuff, you know, scrubbing my knees, all that, and I brush my teeth, put it in the rack, and just then Amy says, oh, Eric, don't use your toothbrush. I'm like, what, why? She's like, well, because I used it yesterday to scrub all the corners and like, get all the mold and the stuff out, clean out the grime of the shower. I'm like, Bleh. I'm like scraping my tongue, I'm gargling, it's the worst. Gross. So uh, will I ever use that toothbrush again? Mm, Probably not. Probably not. And uh, in a sort of an infinitely more important spiritual sort of question, that, that actually is what's being asked in today's text. I have been used our psalmist will say, King David will say, something has gone deeply wrong with me. Can I ever be used again? So let's pray and we'll get into it. Lord, we thank you for bringing us all here together this morning, both those who um, are joining us online and those who are here in the pews. As we come to your word this morning, we, we are reminded of what Psalm 119 has to say, that your word is a, is a lamp for our feet and a light for our path. And what that means for us is there is something that's outside of us. There's something that we need that's beyond us to offer us light for the way. We both need to be shown the way and we need something from beyond us. And that's your word, Lord. Would it offer us that kind of hope, encouragement, clarity, and conviction today? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be truly pleasing and acceptable in your sight. If you are our Lord, rock, and redeemer. And all God's people said, amen. Well, friends, we are uh, in the fifth week. We took a little break uh, to hear from Jeff Pratt one time of this uh, series uh, that we've been calling Dangerous Prayers. And it essentially has been as this invitation to pray these very simple, short, focused prayers. In fact, they're in the form of commands. They're imperatives. God, would you search me, empower me, speak to me. And they invite us into a different kind of a prayer life and habit and practice than maybe most of us are used to. 
See, what they remind us, actually, is that it's not just, we don't just come sort of asking for, like, magical reception of things. But they remind us that, actually, we are in relationship with the living God. They remind us that there actually is someone that we are in conversation with when we pray that, that might have a perspective on what's happening in our life that might have a hope and a desire for you beyond simply just giving you whatever it is you see that you need or want or long for. See, they're dangerous because it asks us to acknowledge prayers might be more than simply a list of the things that I can see, that I want, that I need. God has something more in store for us than that which is Obvious And today's one, cleanse me, is, is very much like that. It's one of those dangerous prayers. And it's this simple, small little phrase, just two words, cleanse me. And they come from Psalm 51. If you brought your Bible with you, pull out your computer or phone or whatever it is you've got in your hand, grab a Bible right there um, on the screen. And as you turn there, let me give you just a little bit of some context. So Psalm, sometimes the Psalms have these sort of two line or sort of a line. They give you some context of why was this written? What was the moment in time and history that made this Psalm sort of come to life? And you can read the whole story of the Psalm and what, what, um, what birthed it, so to speak, if you go to 2 Samuel chapter 11 later on your own. 2 Samuel chapter 11. But here's sort of just the opening lines, and then we'll read the, the, just nine verses today. Here it is. This is for the director of music. David sending this to his version of Joe Cutshaw, or Jim Keller. And this is a psalm of David's, and he wrote it when the prophet Nathan came to him after Daniel had committed adultery with Bathsheba. I'm sorry, when David had, sorry. And what that means, if you know the story, he also had someone killed to make that happen and try to hide it. So in that moment, with that background, this is the psalm, this is the song, this is the prayer of David. Let's, let me just read it aloud to you. We're just going to read just the nine verses, the first nine. It's so deep and rich. We could do a whole like five, six week series on this whole thing. But David says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Verse 3, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are right in your verdict and you are justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness. Even in the womb, you taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. 
Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Many times in my life, and certainly this fall, this has been an important prayer of confession and renewal for me. What I want to do today is just sort of point out a couple things, give you a little bit of a roadmap of how one might pray this psalm in the way that it can sink deep, deep down and do the work with God that God wants you to do on your own heart and mind and soul and imagination And that really requires today three things that I'm going to show to you. There's lots of different things I could point to you. Here's the first. That to pray this prayer really requires the right start. The first thing that it requires simply is the right start. We've been trying to work on a habit and a rhythm that we have in prayer now for the last several months, right? Uh, God speaks, we listen, and we respond. And in the case here, what we see is we, we speak, God listens, and God responds, which actually then leads to us speaking again, which gives actually God a chance to respond to us. There's something more sort of, uh, sort of a bigger circle that we see here. And, and it begins, the right start is to begin with God's character. Friends, we have to be settled and confident We need to see and discover and open ourselves up more and more and more to the reality of who God is because we always end up turning God into something that God is not. But I want you to show what we, I want you to see what we see here in these first two verses of this psalm. What we see is is David appeals to God's mercy. David appeals to um, God's unfailing, steadfast covenant love this is who God is when we start our prayer we need to remember that God is compassionate slow to anger abounding in grace and mercy we come to the Lord in confession with heartache with a sense of our own ineptitude and darkness we can speak it all because of who God is Some of you will know this uh, character from the movie Matilda. That's Mrs. Trunchbull. And she is a school administrator in this uh, children's movie and uh, based on a Roald Dahl book. And can I just tell you, I think many of us start with this understanding of who God is. If you've ever seen the movie Matilda, then, then you know that, that Miss Trunchbull, well, she is eager to punish. She's angry. She's untrusting. Her verdicts for those who are before her are mean-spirited. And friends, if, you, if this is where you start, that God is somehow like a, a cosmic, omnipotent Mrs. Trunchbull, you will never be able to come before the Lord properly. 
We just imagine, don't we? Like, ah, I mean, I think kind of there's a little part of my heart that kind of believes that. So we secretly worry about it, that God has no patience for us. That God is eager to punish. That God is withholding from his love. That maybe God doesn't have actually any love for us at all, but maybe just sort of vague spiritual tolerance. But the right start is to see that actually that's not what God is like at all. God is not eager to destroy God comes with grace and mercy. He's not hateful. He's not suspicious. He's not violent. No, God is like a loving father, compassionate, filled with boundless love. For those of you who are parents in the room, especially maybe parents of of teenagers, you will know that feeling when you are so, so badly want to scoop up your child and say, you are loved They are going through the midst of like an an awful breakup or a failure they think from which they will never recover. They're in a spot where they feel like in this pit of despair and unloved by everything that's around them. And as a parent, your heart just aches for them. That is the heart of God. And that's where we must start. This is who God is. Compassionate, merciful, filled with steadfast love. Second, friends, we need to start with the right kind of vulnerability. We need to find a way to allow ourselves to be properly vulnerable before the Lord. Oftentimes, our worship songs, our hymns, the things that we say and we pray and we read, they, they promise that we will like have this lifelong commitment to God. We're always going to be oriented towards the Lord. And that is indeed a great promise. That is a, the, the right um, impulse to be relationally with God. And yet, this psalm starts in a different place. Let's read it just real quick. For I know my transgressions. He says, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness, even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. David sits with the burn of what he's done and who he is. He takes sort of a self-examination of of who he is apart from God. What he says is, surely I was sinful from the very beginning. Have you ever done that? Has there ever been something that just did not quite go the way you wanted it to go? Have you ever done something that so embarrassed you, so shamed you, so shocked you personally that you just sort of like laid up late at night and just kind of just burned? Has that ever happened to you? That's your soul in its own way trying to say, cleanse me, Lord. 
he wrestles with the source of his sin. He, and then we see in this psalm, as he, as he starts with the right kind of vulnerability, he says, this is who I am. I'm not going to try to explain it away or, or deny it or diminish it. This, this is who I am. This is what happens. But can I tell you something that I know that's true about me and I think probably true for a lot of us. It's easy in a church like ours to say, yeah, I'm a sinner but not actually really wrestle with the source or do the heart work. And this prayer and the psalm from which it comes from teach us a different kind of vulnerability. It can be bad news for us, friends, if we just acknowledge our sin, but we don't go deep enough. In fact, Jesus has this to say to some people who uh, do that. This is from uh, Matthew 23. Uh, Verse 27 and 28, he's speaking to a group of people called the Pharisees, and they were kind of just religious leaders. And this is what he says to them. Woe to you, you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous. But on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. See, Jesus is saying, you've done maybe the external work. You acknowledge that God has something to say to you about your life and the circumstances in it and the sins that have gone unaddressed. But you actually haven't done the heart work. You haven't done what needs to sort of happen and sort of open up with the right kind of vulnerability for the Lord to see it all. Now, when we read these passages, I want to acknowledge, like, we're like, I'm not a Pharisee. But isn't it true that we also don't work hard enough on what's going on within us? I mean, isn't it true, whether you're a Pharisee or not, that you work very hard to project a certain kind of image? In fact, oftentimes we try to project that image even to God. This was kind of hard, but I'm okay. Can you just kind of take care of it, God? Amen. But Jesus warns against that kind of external prayer. Cleanse me. From the inside out. Because if we just take care of the outside, what Jesus is showing us is actually the inside is still rancid. And dirty and smelly and dead. And friends, we might not know it until it's too late. It requires the right kind of vulnerability to sort of open up the tomb of your heart and let life come in. To acknowledge the difficulty and the depravity and the dirt of it. See, the right kind of vulnerability is to say, well, my heart surgeon is God and he's merciful, slow to anger, abounding in grace. He's filled with compassionate love. So friends, open yourself up to this God. Just hide it away or deny it or diminish that which burns within you. 
let Jesus go deep into the recesses of your heart and soul. Say it to the Lord, cleanse me. Raise your sin up to God. Don't hide it. Don't deny it. To do that at the end, according to Jesus, is death. So when we come to the Lord and say, cleanse me, we, we, it would be helpful if we have the right start, if um, we have the right kind of vulnerability. And then finally today, I want to say, um, it also requires that we have the right hope. I'm going to read these uh, 7, 8, and 9 now, one more time. Lord, cleanse me with hyssop, and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Bring them to life. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Friends, David is a man of great power. In fact, that's partially how he got into this mess. People don't say no to the king. And in his, in his era, there just was very real. It just couldn't just be his. So this is what I want. But this is what he knew. All the money, all of the soldiers, all of the palaces, all of the resources at his disposal, all of the teachers and rabbis and priests. They, they, there's one thing that could not do. They could not address his own spiritual depravity. Can't buy your way out of that one. And we, as it turns out, we have an extraordinary uh, amount of resources right at our fingertips. So when we feel the burn, we, we feel the heat, maybe sort of feels maybe just a little bit like stress to us. What do we do? Well, what are the, what are the, uh, what are the magazines and the articles and the advice? What does even your doctor say to you to do? Well, exercise. Because it reduces stress. Helps you kind of internalize it and kind of manage it. We see therapists. We seek out mental and psychological health, trying to figure out how could this have happened? What happened here? Why did it happen? How am I going to fix it? What are the things? What are the steps? How do I like go all the way back and do some attachment theory and all the other stuff? We read, we take supplements, we go to sleep earlier, we journal, we, we have all the things. And can I just say to you, that is all so good. It's even necessary for sort of ongoing, like relational health and personal growth. But when it comes to our souls, those things are just sin management. They don't deal with it. We have to do one thing first. We have to see, like David here, that there are some problems we can't fix or manage or pay for. We can't hire it out. We need to have the right hope, which is not our own activity, but Jesus Christ himself. When we pray, cleanse me, the right hope is to trust that the living, risen Messiah will come and deal with your sin. Blot it out. Apply like the world's most powerful spiritual bleach to it. It will be gone. 
When we say cleanse me, what we're saying is, is we want the right authority to actually come and to manage this. This prayer, our prayer, my prayer, cleanse me. And do you know what Jesus says over and over and over in the gospels when that request comes? Will you cleanse me? Do you know what Jesus says? He says, I am willing. Be clean. He doesn't say, I am willing. Ultra marathon first. He doesn't say, I am willing. $2,000 on therapy, then we'll talk. He simply says, I am willing. Be clean. Jesus is the right hope. There is no other. This passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 5 would be an important one for us to hold on to. Here it is. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of of God. Jesus says, I am willing, be clean. I am sinless. I will take your sin and I will swap it so you might have my righteousness. That's the right hope. There is no other. The rest of what you do will be good. And it will be important and it will help you sort of operate out in the world with friends and coworkers and family and all that. But the right hope, friends, is Jesus Christ. There is no other. Lord, we cleanse me. So what makes this what makes this prayer dangerous? Why is this a dangerous prayer? You see, when we say, Lord, cleanse me, what we really are saying is, will you return us, repurpose us to God's glory? I want to step out of whatever is going on in my life and I want to re-step back in God into what you have for me. I want to step back into a, a life of joy and of forgiveness and of obedience, of eagerness, of willingness to ask to be cleansed. It's actually laundry language. It's the exact same language that the ancient Hebrews used for laundry. It's asked to be made right. So when Jesus says he is willing, be clean with those, for example, who have leprosy. He doesn't just say, okay, you're clean, but you still have leprosy. Continue to um, be completely rejected by the rest of society. No. When Jesus says, be clean, he says, you are made new. What it actually says uh, in Corinthians is, um, you are a new creation. You have a fresh start. Live freshly and newly with the promise that God has cleansed you. You are clean. And it's dangerous because what will God ask you to do once you finally have been repurposed to his glory? Do you know? Have you asked? God speaks. We listen. And we respond. 
It's dangerous because we have real freedom and restoration. And sometimes we're not sure what to do with it. So, Lord, cleanse me. You know, it's interesting as we come to this table, this table has a, um, a really sort of interesting overlap with some of the things that we've been talking about. Um, let me just read this uh, verse 8 to you. If it's not up there, I can't remember if it is. This is just verse 8. Here's what he says after he says, cleanse me with hyssop. He says this, will you let me hear joy and gladness? Will you let the bones that you have crushed rejo- rejoice? See, in a way that we don't often sort of recognize or understand or really wrestle with, actually to be cleansed, to be restored, actually has a relational component and, and not just a spiritual one. You see, David was king. He's going to go wherever he wants. He's going to sort of go into the banquet hall. He's going to go into the throne room. People are going to be there. And what's it going to be like when he steps in the room? Is it going to be sort of like the quiet hush? Watch out. David kills people and steals their wives. Is there going to be sort of like this fearful sort of like not knowing what to do with David? See, what he's praying for here, actually, is uh, scholars understand. He's, he's, he's asking that what's going to be happened when he gets cleansed with hyssop, it also gets experienced in his relationships. David longs to walk into a room and hear the ongoing laughter of the banquet. David longed to sort of step into the room and, and not have there be an ongoing, awkward hush. Even if he is forgiven, he will only know it, only feel it, only be able to fully receive the full gift of that when the people who are around him receive him back with joy. So David writes, you let me hear joy and gladness again. Will you let this be part of my cleansing and of my restoration? Will you let me hear it? And friends, this table This table here is a table of joy. To be cleansed with hyssop is to receive the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his body on a cross, his blood spilled out for you. To be cleansed is to take these gifts and to do it around a table in community. What we see at this table is the living representation of David's psalm. Will you cleanse me and return to me the the joy of your salvation and the joy and the hubbub of community and of friendship, the embrace of the people who are around me? Friends, let's come to the table. Let's come to the table. And we receive these gifts as the promise of cleansing that they are. We don't just receive them by ourselves. Receive them in community. It's a promise that together we are a cleansed people. That we can live with joy and hope and promise because of the work of Christ that is in me and is in us. 
So friends, let's, let's hear that story again, shall we, as we come to a, a close here. On the night which was betrayed, Jesus was having supper with his uh, disciples. And he took some bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. Take and eat it. Receive and live the sacrifice. And in the same way, after the, cup, the supper, he took the cup and he poured it out. And he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, which is shed in my blood, the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink it and remember me. And a couple decades after Jesus was uh, risen again, the apostle, said, the apostle Paul said, whenever it is we eat this bread and we drink from this cup, we proclaim his saving death that he's blotted out all of our transgressions, personally and corporately, until he comes again. Well, in just a minute, we're gonna um, take this communion. If you're here uh, in the sanctuary with us, hopefully you received a little sort of uh, single serving pre-packaged uh, communion wafer and cup. We encourage you to take that as you are ready and prepared Likewise, those of you who are at home during this next song, let me encourage you to simply share the elements, simply saying to those who are with you, if you're with someone, this is the body of Christ broken for you and his blood, which has been shed for you. Lord, these gifts are not sacrifice, but they are nourishment. You offer us your very self for life. That we get to hear the joy of being cleansed, to be reminded that however far we have traveled from you in our sin, you have traveled even closer yet in your grace. That you may even at our invitation dwell within us. So Lord, we do that today. Will you cleanse us, strengthen us, nourish us, prepare us. We thank you. Amen. Friends, these are God's gifts. Let's partake.